Welcome back, everybody. Uh, once again, it's the next episode of the Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. Hi, my name is Dustin. And I'm Lakeisha. And welcome back to the Beer Reviewing Movie Reviewing Podcast from heart of Portland, Oregon, from our big dining room table. And this week, we're back in the world of uh, Disney things. Yes. As we uh, went and saw a villainous Right. Movie, my favorite villainous. If you will. As uh, more your jam. Yes. If I may say, uh, as we went and saw Maleficent. Two, the mistress of evil. Or as I like to call it, Maleficent. Maybe not so evil, actually. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so, this is uh, your one of your favorites, character-wise. Yeah. Uh, Maleficent is probably my favorite villain um, in the Disney uh, pantheon. And so, um, yeah, so I, and I, I found the first movie, uh, to be a really creative and interesting take uh-huh. on the character. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I wasn't too sure how I was going to react to this just because I do, I did like the first one uh-huh. and I'm not often sure how sequels are going to work, you know? Right. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we'll talk about how this one turned out. I think it did okay. Uh-huh. Um, I also think uh, that ultimately they, I think they did, I mean, like, you know, going into this, like Angelina Jolie is Maleficent. So, you know, like Maleficent isn't going to be the mistress of evil at the end. So, right. you know, so the title was misleading. I think they were trying to be misleading, but then they weren't being very good at it. Right. All right. And before we get into more details about uh, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, uh, we each have a a beer that we've never had before. Correct. We're going to go over first. And uh, you go first this time. Okay. So um, I have returned to a brewery that we are quite fond of. That has been talked about on this podcast a lot. Mm-hmm. Gigantic brewery, brewery, bleh, brewery <laughs> which is right uh, down in uh, southeast Portland. Um, this is number five of the Hellboy series beer. Um, the Blood Queen. Mm-hmm. Might I say perhaps another misunderstood queen often thought to be evil. But maybe mm-hmm. not. I don't know. Uh, this is, so the Blood Queen is the Cranberry Yuzu Sour. Mm. Um, and the description is, beware of what you ask. Let the queen of blood arise in this bewitching combination of cranberry and yuzu citrus. So, um, you can smell the cranberry, you can smell the sour. Yeah. It is not very... Yeah. It, it looks, doesn't look like blood. It's not no, very red. It's not red at all. Um, it really looks like a nice, like a dark IPA, but I am prepping. It is not going to be a dark IPA no. for sure. Um, it's okay. Yeah? Yeah. It almost tastes to me like a, uh, almost like a lager, you know, really? like a... Yeah. Um, dare I say, like a Michelob Ultra <laughs> with a slight bit of cranberry taste at the end? Huh. Uh, it's not a sour by any means. Really? In my opinion. Huh. Uh, so it's interesting. It. So. Reaching across. It smells like a lager for sure. Right? <laughs> I love the look of your face on this. Huh. I wonder if they got this wrong. I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah I don't see what, why that's a, a sour of any kind. No. It is definitely, like, the sour only comes from, like, the cranberry aftertaste at the very end. Very end, yeah. You know? So, uh, so it's okay. Um, I, I want it to be stronger. 
in yeah. one in any way. If you're gonna call it the Blood Queen, right? It needs to be more bold, yeah, than this. Correct. I feel. Correct. It is. It's not cranberry. Very cranberry. It's not very sour at all. Um, it just needs. It. I don't know. I was looking forward to like this flood of flavor, uh-huh. good or bad. Right. One way. That's or the other what way. I wanted. Yeah. So it's just a little too mild. Okay. I am having the Wandering Into the Fog Double IPA from Abomination Brewing Company. Mm. Uh, They are from uh, the Northeast. Um, Looks like from Pennsylvania. They are a nomadic brewery, which means they don't have their own facilities. They actually just got a... Uh, use other place another other brewing f- places facilities to make and then bottle and in this case can interesting their stuff like for instance uh, this beer was actually brewed and canned at Dorchester Brewing which is actually in Boston and other beers that they make are you know brewed in other places wherever they can you know I don't know how the economics of that work but they just don't have their own permanent uh, facility. Um, there's not a whole lot of information about them on like their website or their Facebook page. Uh, this beer is, they say it's a mosaic double IPA. It's 8.6% alcohol by volume. Wow. Um, it's, uh, very hazy. It's almost like a kind of, it's kind of a juicy IPA, I guess you could say. And it smells very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you t- t- uh, drink it, it kind of falls into the same kind of trap that, unfortunately, most double IPAs were just kind of just gets, it just tastes like it's sweet. Uh, it's like overly yeah. sweet juice. You know, so it's fine. Uh, the mosaic hops, which are like my favorites, that's what makes it smell good. But unfortunately, you don't really taste them. Mm, so that's it, too bad. Yeah, it just tastes like it's, I don't know, not quite like orange juice. But like if you someone poured you this and said, "Hey, it's orange juice," you might believe them for a second. Ha! Huh. But yeah. So anyway, uh, Abomination Brewing. They're also their logo looks like it was drawn by a thirteen-year-old. Yeah. So. I thought you would like their logo. Well, this isn't their logo. Their uh, that is their logo. Ah, okay. Little horned, one-eyed monster thing. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, the fog um, artwork. Is actually very nice. It is very cool. It's very cool, but the the logo, the company logo itself, is is not is not okay. Okay. Well, I think hopefully we will have stronger feelings uh, on the movie. Hopefully, maybe maybe we'll find out. Okay, Maleficent, uh, Mistress of Evil, ish. Uh, we've each come up with our three favorite things about this movie. I haven't shared them with each other until now. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert for a movie that's been out for a month, month or more. Uh, we won't hold back on any plot details if we feel like it. So if you haven't seen it yet, be forewarned. Right. Um, and I think we decided that you're going first. Okay. Um, All right, so the first thing that I liked about this movie was um, I really liked the relationship, watching how the relationship uh, between Maleficent and Aurora has grown and developed, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. in the first movie, the movie is really about Maleficent learning to love Aurora despite herself. Like, she doesn't want to, right? Mm -hmm. And, in fact, it is Maleficent's kiss to Aurora's forehead that wakes him up, uh, that wakes Aurora up versus, you know, Prince, Prince Charming. Phil- or yeah, whatever, yeah. Prince Philip's kiss, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so in this case, you know, five, they explicitly state five years has passed. So Maleficent or Aurora is 21. Um, and so they've had five years together. And it's, it, I do think they do a good job of, um, displaying that you know maleficent loves aurora she um has very protective instincts for aurora and um after you know the lifetime you know the living her first 16 years um in the in the first movie of of just hating humans she, Mm -hmm. she loves aurora um and you've got 
uh, Aurora, being a 21-year-old queen, young queen who wants to get married, wants to um, establish her independence. And so just watching that wrestling between the parent and child with um, also recognizing that Maleficent, you know, does a good job, is is not a human, right? right. And in fact, it's not only a mother-child relationship, but it's it's a relationship of like, Maleficent is not human and in fact distrusts all humans except for Aurora. Um, And so watching that interplay, especially at the start of the movie, is very heartwarming, I think. Um, And I thought it was very clever that that it's that very love that uh, Queen Ingrid played exceptionally well by Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm -hmm. Um, It's that love that... Ingrith uses to get Maleficent to lose her cool, right? Because mm-hmm. they, the, it's the meeting of the parents, which is great as both parents, as both uh, Prince Philip and Aurora are like clearly aware that this is not going to go well, but they're trying to make it happen anyway. Uh-huh. Um, but Ingrith does this great, um, has does a great job of like needling a, a Maleficent. Like she is prepared. She's uh, she talks about you know Aurora becoming part of their family, finally having a real human family, right. and that she's so excited to love Aurora as a daughter and hopes that Aurora will look at her as a mother, mm-hmm. and and Maleficent who has been her mother, um, lo- just loses it, and it's I thought it was a great moment in the movie where she stands up and knocks everything over and she's in her be- like standard Maleficent green flame glory. Um, and so, but the, what gets her there is like her jealousy. Like she loves Aurora and she's scared of losing her. So, um, so I really, I, I really liked it. I think that yeah. that, that kind of display is, it builds off of the first movie. Okay. Right? And um, I think grows into a natural direction in the second movie. Uh, and then there's almost this perfect line at the end, which I think every parent feels, you know, Aurora nervously looks at Maleficent and asks her, will you give me away? And Maleficent pauses and looks perplexed and just says, Never. Right. And then, you know, Aurora's like, no, no, no. I meant, like, walk me down the aisle and give me away in merit. In my right, right. And, and then Maleficent's like, oh, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, so I just really liked that um, that development in the movie. So, okay. So that's my number one. Okay. Well, for me, I mean, I think uh, Maleficent herself, Angelina Jolie, is, like, the best thing in this movie mm-hmm. uh, by leaps and bounds. Um, and the best part of her performance is like when you meet her in the beginning of this film and she just from the jump just has this withering, suffering no fools, just kind of sarcastic, you know, uh, sense of humor mm-hmm. uh, that just, you know, has the whole... This whole, I don't know, realm, whatever you want to call it, you know, where they all exist, where the whole... The Moors. Yeah, they all, all the inhabitants of this place just, you know, are walking on eggshells mm-hmm. when they got to interact with her. And it's just so, you know, she's like, she just has this, this confidence, like, I'm the most dangerous thing here, and I know I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably the smartest thing here. And I know I am. And she just has this. It's just funny. Yeah. And it's just really funny. Like the guy who plays her. The guy that can turn into a raven. Diaval. Like yeah. Her yeah. like kind of aide de camp, mm-hmm. if you will. You know, the way she talks to him when he comes to deliver the news that Aurora and Philip have become engaged. Right. <laughs> you know, and she's like trying to, you know, Philip has and she tries to guess, you know, like, you know. Become a leper, or I forget, right. <laughs> I forget exactly. That's not the line she she says. Several lines where she tries to guess some sort of horrible fate that hopefully has befallen him, right? You know, and that sort of just I love that, you know, uh, 
just those those lines are like the highlight for me because it's just you know this protagonist of this movie who is just you know uh, just I don't know just that withering you know kind of sardonic yeah dialogue is really uh really great I love those those moments when mm-hmm. they happened yeah that acerbic wit yeah yeah so which is also just a great phrase to use acerbic wit mm-hmm. so I agree I think it's also really good. Um, all right, my number two. Um, and I feel like they did a very good job of hiding this in all of the commercials and all of the previews and all the trailers. Um, the rest of the Dark Fae, mm-hmm. right? So part of uh, the plot in this movie, uh, one, of the, one of the twists is that um, and- uh, Maleficent has gone her whole life believing she is the only one of her kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and we discover in this movie, she is not. Right. She is rescued by another dark fae, um, and is taken to, uh, a co- nest, cocoon, hive type area. Sure. Which is crazy and kind of cool, but also a little befuddling. Right. Um, after she's been injured and she goes there, she's taken there, she heals, and she learns that she is not the only uh, one of her kind. Right. There are, in fact, hundreds of, or thousands yes. of dark fae. Yeah. Um, and the scene just where, I mean, just the, the looking at the, the dark fae, the variety of dark fae that they... Um, display is just beautiful right Mm -hmm. it's like a diverse group of of beings so um as they're flying through you see um desert fae alpine fae tropical fae mountain fae um and they all have different colors so which i think is really a really cool idea you Mm -hmm. know because you've got maleficent who has these glistening black feathers right and black horns um but you see uh, these tropical fae that have beautiful iridescent feathers that are bright reds and blues and greens. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, uh, you know, that obviously are designed to, you know, emulate kind of tropical birds. And then you see kind of like the hawk-like desert fae and their uh-huh. beautiful browns and the alpine ones where they're in sn- they've got snowy white feathers. And I just thought seeing that diverse group of fae was really really cool mm. um i just liked i liked that they had built this kind of rich world of of fae dark fae that exist that they're not all necessarily as mopey and as maudlin as maleficent is right right um of course what i don't understand is that they go soaring through what i guess is a mountain valley and there are clearly thousands of fae that live there um and this one single mountain valley has all of these biomes in it so like there is a mountain there is like snowy part of the mountain and then you just keep flying and suddenly you've got tropics mm-hmm. and then you keep flying and suddenly it's desert and it's kind of like huh so this is like the craziest mountain area i've ever seen for a bunch of refugees right this is this seems to cover a lot of territory. <laughs> yes, a lot of um, g- different geographies. Yes, or, yeah, ecosystems on one small, like Genosha, right? For for these people, they're trying to say it is super small and that they're in hiding, and yet, right. and yet it covers this expanse of different regions right. that would never exist that close together. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but. Again, I just really liked uh, the the dark fae and their diversity. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So I never saw the first movie. Uh-huh. Uh, so I enjoyed uh, this retconning of the Sleeping Beauty story. You haven't seen the first movie? Nope. <gasps> uh, where Maleficent is, you know, the guardian, you mm-hmm. know, slash parent to uh, Princess Aurora. Uh, I'd kind of wondered, you know, how Disney, you know, the Mickey Mouse Company was taking one of their, you know, iconic movie villains and then making that, 
the you know the lead character in in her own movie series because mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, it's one thing to make a movie about you know the Joker that's going to be R rated, you know, and about that character, but a Disney character, mm-hmm. a Disney villain, and make that the lead. So I was kind of curious how that was, because you know if you make a villain's a story just about a villain, who do you root for? It's kind mm-hmm. of a thing I always kind of wonder about. But the, I like the how they retcon this. Uh, and I appreciate the attempt uh, to make this story topical in a way where um, Maleficent and all that kind of the fairyland creatures who live on one side of a river, mm-hmm. you know, from the other largely side. white populated, you mm-hmm. know, human beings and they're being vilified, uh, you know, unfairly mm-hmm. by a person for that person's political gain. Right. Right. Uh, I appreciate what they're trying to do there. I feel it, it kind of comes off a little ham-fisted, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate the attempt. And, you know, uh, and it wasn't, you know, and when you're going to, like, retcon a well-known story like that, you can't, you know, you, you really you got to put some thought into it or you're going to piss some people off. Right. And uh, so I like what they did with that. In the inter- and like how you just said that it was Maleficent who awoke Aurora. Mm-hmm. You know, was uh, is interesting. The reintroduction of the the cursed spindle spindle yeah. needle and how it was used was really interesting. I like that. You know, still like not completely ignoring the lore of the story. You know, mm-hmm. it still exists. So yeah, so all that stuff. Uh, the re- the retconning and the reuse of stuff from that legend. Yeah, I find pretty interesting. Well, I now want to. I now want us to watch the first one uh-huh. because I think that I think. It would explain a lot of that, you know, because I think what I what I appreciated about this is, you know, in the first one, it is about it is telling the story um, and, you know, kind of like how everything happened and, and, and why. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, they start this one by talking about how sometimes the real story isn't what gets spread, right? right? And in fact, you find out that Queen Ingrid has been sp- specifically spreading right. um, I, I'm, that's misinformation. Another, which I right? feel is another relevant modern day yeah. idea. So, um, so, but yeah, anyway, I think you would like how they, they built this story where your, your villain is mm. actually the protagonist out of, in the movie, you know? Um, and I think they did both movies well enough where you you are rooting for Maleficent, but she's also doing a really good job of, of being like, I am I am not going... I am not nice. I am not the three right. fairy godmothers. I am, like, you know, like, I am... Yeah, it, it makes sense why scary. people are on, <laughs> or at least on edge, or to a degree afraid of her. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, my number three mm-hmm. is uh, the sheer horror of Queen Ingrid's plan of genocide. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. She's planning genocide. And in in such a terrible way, I mean, by destroying magic, right? So if you have a little fairy who is, you know... They they show a little fairy who is um, like one of those little uh, puff flowers, you know, mm-hmm. that has the seeds and and like when a you dandelion, dan yes, thank you. And when you put the powder on them, they just lose their magic. So the fairy goes away, and all you're left with is the plant. Right, right. It turns them into the re- real world. What would you call it? Well, just they just they just become the plant. So mm-hmm. like the magic has been removed from them, mm-hmm. right? And I just think that is so sad mm-hmm. to 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 think about. You know what is lost, and it is an interesting idea to look now at dandelions or trees or you know and be like, oh, they. They maybe they used to be fairies, and something was taken. You know, like the human engine, the you know of mankind has killed that magic. Yeah. You know, um, and and it's really it is quite sad. And then at the end, it is done cruelly, right? If she doesn't like Queen Ingrid doesn't just lock all the 
little more folk in a church and then have powder going through. Mm-hmm. No, she has her like person, Gerda, playing an organ and it um, only when she hits a special key does a puff of the red powder come out, killing just a portion of them at a time. It's very theatrical. Right? It is. of murder. But it's also like... Talk about inducing horror. Like you're mm-hmm. there and you're watching your friends around you, you know, die, disappear, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just have to wait your turn because you know it's, you, you don't know exactly when it's going to happen again, but it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Like that is incredibly terrifying and scary. And I just thought, what a sadistic move, you know? on their part. So I just, I, I was genuinely sad and like mm-hmm. upset and like, what don't, why are you killing them that way? You know? <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, that is, that's how you know you have a good villain, right? Mm-hmm. That you're like, that is the most horrifying thing I can think of. What are you doing? And, um, and so I just, I thought, I can't say that, ooh, I liked it, but I liked the way that they so thoroughly created a villain Yeah. in in Queen Ingrith. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I liked it. All right. Well, speaking of genocide, um, <laughs> the, the just kind of the visuals of like the kind of the big battle mm-hmm. at the end. You have all of uh, Maleficent's rediscovered kin you know the dark fader that kind of that's flying in to assault the, mm-hmm. the the big castle and um and they've kind of engineered this red powder mm-hmm. right and that's what's the, the means of which they you know kill the magical beings right and they have all the catapults and trebuchets and whatever launching canisters of this stuff to explode in the air to take out the flying mm-hmm. dark fae that are coming in it's very striking uh, you know, I like the, and it's very, you know, pretty actually, you know, mm-hmm. while, while it's horrible, what's while you know, being horrifying, while, being, while it's horrible that all these, all these characters are being killed, but it's like, uh, I, clearly it's a means of being able to show blood in a battle without showing blood in a battle, mm-hmm. you know, like I think is why it's, you know, they made it red. And so you got all this red stuff exploding everywhere, uh, you know, flying beings, and just kind of for a while, it's like a, and it's a, like a it's very one sided. I mean, they're mm-hmm. just slaughtering the 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 fae as they come up, and it's uh you know an interesting idea uh, that they came up with so that the plain old humans do have a way to have the upper hand, right? You know, on a people that would otherwise probably pretty easily overpower them all, mm-hmm. uh, which which you got to have t- to make your you know bad guys, you know, right, credible as a threat. And just, yeah, I mean, it gets a little too CGI-y, you know, all over the place. Um, but but those, but like when they're flying in and the stuff is exploding in the air, mm-hmm. it's very visually cool. Right. And, uh, and stunning. And so that, that sequence uh, I put as my last mm-hmm. favorite thing. It is very cool. Um, and they're, you know, the kind of the horror of the Fae as they watch their their fellows just literally disintegrate because of course like the fairies are kind of a plant like you know like they're 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 connected to other beings whereas the dark fae are just like pure magic so they don't right they don't become a bird they just disappear is like it is it's a it is visually beautiful Uh and horrifying yeah (laughs) so um. All right. So those are our three. Mm-hmm. So now we get to talk about our honorable mentions. Yeah. Well. Um. For me, kind of talking among the same lines. Um. When I was a kid, it seemed like Disney. There was a darkness to Disney movies, mm-hmm. at least as I recall when I was younger. That to in some circles Disney is criticized for now because they feel like they're sanitizing it all out. People don't want to expose their kids to mm-hmm. things that might scare them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, in this movie, you know that uh, where they have Warwick Davis's character locked up in a essentially a mad scientist laboratory mm-hmm. experimenting 
you know, on, on these little uh, woodland creatures and to devise a means of their murder. You know, it's not like graphically violent or gruesome or anything, but it's still, you know, unsettling. Right. You know, when he has these things in jars and he's, you know, exposing them to his concoction right. to see if it'll kill them is is kind of, you know, it's like a return to like a, a darkness that existed in Disney movies. Right. That I feel hasn't been there in a while. Mm-hmm. So, like, I appreciate that because it makes it a little, I don't know, more edgier than I was expecting. Yeah. I guess. Well, I mean, and if you think back to the original Sleeping Beauty like oh, sure. Maleficent is truly scary in yeah. her some of her scenes, mm-hmm. you know, oh. and um, the original Snow White. Oh, oh yeah, I mean when I was, I mean that whole when the the dwarves are going after, you know, the queen and her old witch form, you know, mm-hmm. it's really, you know, that animation is is kind of unsettling, really. Oh yeah, yeah. So I agree. Um, I yeah they did a they they did a good job of maintaining mm-hmm. that level of um I don't know menace or you know yeah and even to the aspect that they're doing this old kind of almost I don't want to say horror movie but the the but the idea of people being trapped in a church that burns down yeah yeah that's happened in movies many times over and it's kind of done this way with uh, you mentioned the organ mm-hmm. where you have the queen's kind of lieutenant almost with an orgasmic look on her face if i'm honest playing this music that occasionally hits the special red key that launches right the powder that starts you know killing everybody that's trapped in the church you know i mean it's i mean sure there's no fire burning down around them but it kind of is. Right. You know. They're so, still with, barred with in the church. psychopath. Right. You know, displ- you know, letting the gas loose. So. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Uh, well, my honorable mention is Prince Philip. So, um, because you didn't see the first one, uh, I, I kind of have to give some background. So, in the first one, Aurora and Prince Philip meet. Uh-huh. Right? And they're instantly smitten. And he is clearly like, I, I would love to meet you again. I would love to see you. Um, and then, uh, and that, that's how it kind of happens in the, in the original Disney animation, right? And then, you know, Aurora goes to the castle. She pricks her finger. She falls into a slumber. And the um, aunties, right, who are the three little, three fairy godmothers. Right. They um, are they're you know they're portrayed as pretty dim witted right, but they <laughs> are but they do say like okay only true love's kiss can wake her. Uh-huh. So they go so you know it's Maleficent who says oh well, Aurora and Philip were smitten let's go get Philip right so she's the one who goes and finds Philip and knocks him unconscious and then brings him back to the castle. And then the and then kind of leaves them where the fairies can find them. And yeah. so they bring him in, and they they're like super pushy, and they're like, "Come in, come here, come here!" And they drag him to Aurora's room where she's sleeping, and they're like, "Kiss her." And in a moment of just brilliant writing, um, he leans over and he looks at her, and he's like, "She's so beautiful." And they're like, "Yes, we know. Kiss her." Right. And then he and he looks at them, and he looks at her, and he goes. But it doesn't feel right. I barely know her, and she's asleep, oh, right? Okay. You know, like so. In this like truly like woke moment, you've got yeah. this young man who's like, "Well, yes, I'm smitten, but it feels really wrong uh-huh. to just lay a kiss on an unconscious girl, right? right. <laughs> that I've only talked to once, right? And uh, and it's the aunties that are like, "Just kiss her," you know. And then he does, and it doesn't work. Sure. And so. Um, so you've kind of got this, you know, moment in the movie, which I think corrected a lot of other people's severe discomfort in the, in the original Sleeping Beauty, where he's just like, oh yeah, I'll just make out with her. No big deal. Um, so Philip already is a good guy, right? And in here he's, he's still a good guy. Mm -hmm. He loves Aurora. He fully supports her. Um, while she's going through, like she's wearing the the cl- she's not wearing the clothing of the Moors. She's now wearing 
this stiff clothing and all this jewelry that her um, that Queen Ingrid is pushing on her, and she hates it. Right. And Philip runs into her, and she's just like, I feel confined. I feel restricted. This doesn't feel like me. Right. And his response is just fully supportive, and he's like, then don't wear it. That's not... I didn't fall in love with you wearing that. I'm not going to love you more if you do. Right. I love you how you are. You're, I love you because you're from the Moors. You don't have to wear any of this stuff. If I don't care if my mom's telling you, just don't. Right? So he's like, again, a really good-hearted person who's just in love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later when... Uh, he, his mom, like Aurora presents him with like, this is, look what your mom is doing. And here's the proof that she's the one who, uh, put like cursed your father, right? Not Maleficent. He doesn't, he's, he just jumps into action. He's like, okay. You know, and I, and he supports her there and he confronts his mom. Um, and then he even refuses to kill the dark fae at the end. Right. right. Which is a kind of a moment of cheesiness. Cause you're like, mm. And yet, it is, it's the hard thing to do if you're trying to, you know, like if you're in the middle of a battle. But it's also the right thing to do if you're really trying to prove that not every human is the same. Not every person on, on this side of a conflict right. is, um, is the same or feels the same way. Like you have to start to see people as individuals, not as just, oh, humans are bad, fair are bad. Like, right. It's about and and so I like that they they do a good job with portraying Philip um, as they give him I mean not a huge role like it's still largely secondary in the movie mm-hmm. um, but they continue doing a good job with him in this movie okay. that I liked all right so all right so anything else um. Well, you know, you just always have to love anything that's got Ed Screen and uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor in it. Uh-huh. Like, they're both great actors. And I love yeah. seeing them as, like, you know, Faye with big wings and things like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, they do a good job of, and I can say this because we've seen Angelina Jolie in person. Mm-hmm. They do a good job of making her seem taller than she is for real. Right. <laughs> She's so she tiny. Is a tiny person. Yes. Yeah, and and that is the funniest thing is you see her and she always looks like she is a big She's like a she looks like she should be like she's like kind of a ten tall, feet tall slender yeah. you know not that she's not slender. Yeah. But yeah. She's totally slender. Um do you know that her IMDP page lists her as five, six and a half? Like, Horse shit. So they list her as being as tall as me. No. Yeah. No. Maybe in her four inch stilettos. Yeah, correct. So. But anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. So, any other honorable mentions? No, I think I'm okay. I'm good there. All right. So now it's time for us to talk about things we maybe we didn't like. Um. So in the first movie. Did they horrifically CGI human faces onto the fairy godmothers? Yes. They, with the, dis- well. Oh my God, that's. But it's distorted, right? Uh-huh. And, and they, it was on, like, it definitely felt like it was on purpose. Like, it is oh, not like they tried, sure. right? So it is a CGI distortion of a face on the fairies. They have these intentional small CGI creatures and they've cast, they, it's like they want to make sure that you can maybe recognize the actresses who they got to play them. So they have their human faces stretched over these small CGI. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is unsettling. I right. did not like it. And I think it's supposed to be that way. Because that's the way it is in the first ones. And it's because they are... I don't know. Dislike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, also, that there were... I don't... I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen the... Well, the old, the OG animated, you know, uh, Sleeping Beauty movie. Yeah. Were they that dim-witted in that? Because it seems like they've been dumbed down a lot. Well, no, I think that's kind of the point, though. Is Again, you kind of have to see the first one to understand. But they are, in the first one, they're definitely kind of, they're fairies. They're supposed to be flighty and not... Like constant and not, you know, 
mature, wise adults, right? And they they are much more wise and in the animated. But sure. in the first movie, that's kind of their that's kind of the shtick is that, mm. and that's kind of how a Maleficent is able to be around Aurora as a baby, because these three fairies who don't understand humans at all. They go and they transform themselves into human size, you know, in the first movie. Oh, thank but, God. But they don't get, like, they don't understand what humans need. And so, like, it's mm. this whole thing that they are woefully unprepared to to take care of a baby. Okay. Um, and raise a baby. And so Maleficent is really the one who cares for Aurora in the shadows, which is how she comes to love her. And so, yeah, they are not, they're not smart. They are not, they're, they're good hearted, Uh but they're not, they're not, they're not smart. (laughs) And unpleasant to look at. Not like that effect at all. (laughs) My goodness. Um, Also, um, the one thing I find missing in Maleficent, Mistress of Evil is that there needed to be more Maleficent Mistress of Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, while Angelina Jolie is in, you know, most of this, um, you mentioned, like, there's a there's something happens to her where she has to be rescued by mm-hmm. Ed Screen's character, and that's where she discovers that her peep, there's right. others like her. And there's this whole middle section where she is seeing where these peep, these dark fae live, where she says almost nothing. Mm-hmm. She says, I mean, I'm trying with that whole section where it's a lot of exposition where Chiotel or Geofor kind of just gives a lot of exposition about their history and right. what happened to them and why they live here now. And she just listens to it and doesn't say, and says almost nothing mm-hmm. through the middle section of the movie. And it's really noticeable and it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Because the beginning when you're first introduced to her is such a ride. And mm-hmm. it's super fun. Right. And then they just, for whatever reason, her voice disappears mm-hmm. and through the middle section of this movie. And that's, I didn't care for that. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I guess I would agree with that because in the first one, she is, I mean, you get a ton of her um, kind of wit, you know, and she's, again, she's, even though she has cursed Aurora and she's really... You know, she's only looking out for Aurora because she wants her to grow up so she can punish Aurora's dad. Because that's the premise of the first one, right? Uh-huh. Um, and there's all these just wonderfully witty moments where she's like reluctantly saving this child because the godmothers are just terrible at it. You know, like uh-huh. they're just uh-huh. like, she's just like, oh, this child is never going to grow up to fulfill my revenge right um i guess i'll raise her like (laughs) and so she is talking and she is present and um and you're right in this movie there's a lot more of her just receiving information rather than engaging in it yeah (laughs) and one last thing about the fairy godmothers you mentioned that in the first movie they turned themselves into human beings Mm -hmm. for so they can perform magic yes so did they forget that they could perform magic when they were locked in the church? Because the entire time that Apparently. was happening, I was like, they're magic. The fairy godmothers can do magic. Why are they doing nothing? Mm-hmm. So, Yes, they can do magic. And apparently, yes, they forgot how to do it in this movie. In that section. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I had, I just really had two things that kind of like really stuck with me in terms of like, eh. Not great. Um, the first is um, the dark phase rationale for fighting Queen Ingrid's yeah, people. Yeah. Right? So, like, they've been hunted and they've been pushed into this small area where they cannot possibly survive. But they've been hiding they've, there long they've enough. They've been surviving there for a while. And specifically long enough for Maleficent to not know they exist. At all. Right? Right? Yeah. And and so Maleficent has existed for many years. Yeah. 
And so, and she is just shocked to realize that they exist, right? So these dark fae have, they may have, they, they, they may have been hunted and persecuted in other areas of the world. And yet they act like somehow it's specifically Queen Ingrith's kingdom right. that has pushed them out of their land. Maybe it's the lands that they've conquered, right? Because at the beginning, it's clear that Queen Ingrith is conquering other people. Like, uh-huh. they're conquering other kingdoms. Um, so I guess that's it. But, like, they, they're, they're acting like the Moors are our home. But are they? Like, Maleficent is like, I have no idea who you are, right? I I lived there my whole life. I didn't know any of you existed. Right. And so maybe they've come from other parts of the world and they were all, like, that's their final place. And they're like, that that kingdom over there that really wasn't ours, that's where we need to go, I guess. But that makes them invaders, not refugees trying to live, you know? Yeah. So... I just, I mean, I get it. It it is a Disney movie for kids, so you're probably not supposed to read too much into the plot. But it just kind of bugged me it because was too simple. Yeah, it, and, and it was, yeah. Like once you think about it, it doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. you know, necessarily. And so that just was disappointing, especially when they're like, "There's so few of us left in our vast." Uh, mountain range that we live in that has everything from deserts to caves to tropical forests. Right. But poor us type of thing. Yeah. So it just, I don't know. I yeah. felt a little weird. That whole middle section is, is I a felt little, problematic. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah. So that was something where I just kind of was like, eh, yeah. you're kind of forcing. You're reaching there. Um. The second thing that I didn't like is um, based on the fact that the first thing that I, I mentioned was I that this is um, Maleficent. The first and the second one, for me, kind of redefine the love story, right? The first one says that, like, yes, love can conquer all, but it doesn't have to be romantic love, right? right? Um, and so in this movie, it furthers that again. Like, Maleficent and, uh, like, Aurora has literally known Maleficent her whole life and kind of the basis of the first one is like because her and Maleficent develop this relationship and Maleficent learns learns to love Aurora as her goddaughter she begins to regret her curse right Mm -hmm. in this one so Aurora knows that five years have gone by and yet at a single dinner her faith in Maleficent is shaken when the when Queen Ingrid says, Maleficent has cursed the king. Right. Immediately, Aurora is like, what have you done? Right. Clearly, you cursed him. This person you don't know at all. Like, she even knows by now that the reason that she was cursed was because of the horrific act that her father committed. Mm-hmm. Right, and that, and it's a in in the first movie, Malefi- or Aurora's dad. In order to become the king, right, he's simply a servant in the castle. He, the king says, "Who um, they're trying to get into the moors," and he basically says, "Whoever can stop Maleficent can marry my daughter." Oh, okay. And so um, he, uh, so Aurora's dad goes in and he seduces Maleficent because they've known each other since they were children, mm-hmm. right? And so he seduces Maleficent um, and then after their passionate night, he cuts off her wings. He steals her wings, mm-hmm. which is why... And, and it's an allegory for for wings. Right. And it's Chartel right. Copley, right? And so... He he steals that which is most precious, and that's why she seeks vengeance, mm-hmm. right? That's why she curses Aurora, and so Aurora has to know this by now. It's been five years. She's the one who releases her wings, you know, and yet she immediately the first meeting with the king and queen right. of you know Philip's parents, 
she's immediately like, Maleficent, what did you do? You immediately cursed him. Like, right. I, I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. Right? And I just feel like yeah, that the whole... was the, the breaking of that trust could have been done much more subtly given some the the some of the other great things that they do but i just was kind of like really wow you guys broke your trust with each other almost immediately like that didn't feel right yeah and after all these years of being like because aurora is essentially what she's like essentially royalty to these to into the moorland fairy creatures right right and she, they're, I'm assuming, like a extended family to her, mm-hmm. you know. And for when, so when the, the Philip's mom says, you know, you know that you'll be loved by a real family, it comes across very, you know, very gross. Mm-hmm. And like, why didn't it seem that way to her? Why wasn't she immediately offended? Right. You know. Well, and also like. She's so she's royalty, right? She's she's also not only is she kind of queen of the Moors, but she's queen of that human kingdom. And essentially she just gave that up. Like she admits, like, yeah, well, I wasn't really raised in my dad's castle and mm-hmm. that kingdom, so I don't really want it. So I just gave it to the people mm-hmm. and moved into the Moors. <laughs> like okay. which I guess is Kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, because that's true. Like, for 16 years, Aurora didn't go near the castle at all. So to, like, suddenly be thrust into that would be would be shocking, right? Right. But I just thought it was... Yeah, it is weird that she's so quick to just... Like, she doesn't say anything to Queen Ingrid. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I love the Moors. Like, mm-hmm. she, she is ashamed, right. almost, of that. Um, and wants to be accepted... By Philip's parents, and right. um, but I just felt it was, it was a weak moment that literally all it takes is halfway through dinner, right? And Aurora's like, oh, my godmother totally cursed you. <laughs> like yeah. I believe it. Yeah. All right. So the only other two, I have two other things. Uh, the first is um, so Elle Fanning who mm-hmm. plays Aurora, and then whoever played the prince, um, <laughs> Harris Dickinson. Yeah, just I didn't. I felt there was like next to no chemistry between them. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy uh, their relationship nor care for anything that happened between them. <laughs> um, and lastly, so the original Disney uh, Sleeping Beauty movie, mm-hmm. uh, Maleficent turns into a dragon. Right. An incredible animated black dragon green flames right which is an iconic piece of animation and image and you know one of the great dragons in cinematic mm-hmm. history and i was yes, like it's part of the reason i like that character so much and i was like the whole movie i was like so at some point she's turning that dragon right mm-hmm. i even think i asked you at one point that's no dragon that's because it was in it was in the first movie i just there's an amazing... Why isn't it in this movie? Because... She turns into a bird in this movie. Because, Let first them. of all, it's Diavel that she turns into the dragon, right? Instead of her becoming the dragon. And it is still quite spectacular. Dragon. Yeah. I wanted a dragon. I didn't get a dragon. Well, then let's watch the first one. And you'll get your dragon. Why can't she turn into the dragon? <laughs> I mean, she turns into a dark phoenix. How? I mean... Come on. There was a dragon in the first one. They couldn't have two dragons. Yeah, they can. <laughs> first of all, there I was an entire TV you. series that started with three dragons. I I will agree with you that dragons that really there just aren't enough dragons in movies, so I mm-hmm. agree with you in that. Uh, however, there was a dragon in the first one. Which we will now have to watch just to help you see a good dragon. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> and on your disappointed, there was no dragon was no in the dragon. sequel, even though you didn't see the first one. Uh, I think we're done with about done. Yeah. So 
So I, again, kind of in my conclusion, uh, an acceptable sequel to a movie that I really, I did really like the first one. Mm -hmm. And I will say, um, kind of, I meant to mention this earlier. So like this idea of like that sympathetic view of a villain, right? Like why is the villain the way she is? Um, and like you and I had talked, have talked about like why that we don't like that origin story for the Joker. Mm-hmm. We're like, but you know, this is an origin story for Maleficent. So uh, st- st- many years ago, like fifteen years ago, um, when Disney at Disneyland, they used to have a villains store, right. and it was in the castle mm-hmm. in Sleeping Beauty's castle. And in that store, for a, a while, they had a series, and it was called My Side of the Story, and it was a children's book. And it was a two, and and on one, so you'd open the book and you'd look at the main cover, and it would be like a a, a simple story. And so I have two of them. And the first one is Sleeping Beauty. Mm -hmm. And you can read through it and you read Sleeping Beauty's story. But then you flip the book over and it has the villain's side of the story. Okay. And so then you have this children's book that is Maleficent's side of the story. Uh And, um, And it is... It is quite delightful. It is a great series, little series. And mm-hmm. I have I have two. I have the My Side of the Story for Sleeping Beauty and for uh, Peter Pan. Right. So you read the first, you know, one side is Peter Pan's story about like why he's the hero and Captain Hook is clearly the villain. And then you flip the book over and you have Captain Hook's side of the story where he's talking about this annoying little kid who keeps flying around and cutting holes in his... Uh, sales and like is mm-hmm. taunting him with clocks and like you know and yeah. it is it they are really really good and so this idea of kind of flipping the script on on the origin stories of their villains and from the villain perspective why they hate like the, you know the quote They're, unquote hero or why right. you know and uh, is is not really that new right mm-hmm. you know uh, Disney had these books out a while ago and so uh the movie maleficent doesn't follow that book obviously Uh but it is um very clever they are very clever books so if you're able to look if you're able to find them ever like that's my one of my recommendations to yeah to listeners is if you can find them they are great and if you know me and you want to borrow mine, just let me know. Because <laughs> they yeah. are great. Yeah. You should read them to your children. Okay. Well, I think we'll go ahead and uh, end on that. Read uh, Maleficent side of the story. Yeah. To your kids. Because <laughs> maybe she's not so evil after all. All right. So uh, going forward, lots of new movies coming out mm-hmm. that we're looking forward to getting to. So in the coming weeks, probably... Zombieland 2 that we oh, want to yeah. see. Definitely. Uh, Terminator Dark Fate. Yes. Uh, Are you excited to see that movie? I am, actually. The, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, good. Good, good. Um, the, especially since it's come out and it, like, like financially, it really hasn't done well. Mm. You know, but, like, critically... So, like, I've seen this comparison where, like, the Rotten Tomato score is essentially the same as the Joker's Rotten Tomato score. But the Joker's made hundreds of millions of dollars. And Dark huh. Fate's already considered a bomb. So I'm interested. And also just this kind of... Since the the Halloween movie we saw last year where they just like... We're going to ignore these sequels and make this new thing that just starts from here. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they're doing. Okay. With Terminator. So, yeah. And I'm, in, and I'm interested. And the, the trailer was super dope, I thought. So, yeah. I'm interested. In, and director, the guy who directed Deadpool made it. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. So. And uh, we've spoken about, uh, you know, a possibly a Jojo Rabbit. Right. From Taika Waititi. Looks interesting. And, uh, yeah, lots of other things uh, coming up. Yeah. I'm, I was super excited to see the movie Harriet. Oh, that Harriet comes Tubman out. movie. It's on Harriet Tubman. Yeah. But new things have happened. Like, I've read a little bit more about the synopsis of it, and there are things that are making me less excited. Mm. But it's still... It's still on my list. I yeah. think I still want to see it. I mean, I, I want to see Dr. Sleep. 
the, yeah. the sequel. We've discussed whether or not Shining. we'll go together. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I've talked about that. Uh, and, you know, and uh, there's something else big coming out in November that I forget. But anyway. Charlie's Angels. Yeah, Charlie's Angels would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I will hopes. probably try to talk you in to going to see uh, a romance movie. I'm uh, just letting you know. Mm. I don't know that I like this. What's, I know. What's, what's the romance movie? The romance movie will be Last like Christmas. Christmas. Oh, oh, that movie with uh, mm. um, Khaleesi. Emma, oh, uh, Amelia. Clark. Amelia Clark. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, perhaps a, a trade can be made. Perhaps we can discuss. We it. can discuss it. Yeah. Okay. okay. So lots of things to look forward to. Uh, thanks for listening to the Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. We're on Spotify and iTunes and uh, the Google Play Podcast app and Spotify. Uh, look for us all there. Uh, leave us a review. Email the podcast. Tell us what you thought of any of these movies. Uh, suggest a movie. Uh, tell us how we're doing. Our email address is ddkpodcasting at gmail.com. Uh, and until next week. Go see a movie. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening.